Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I am Victor Dodge. I hope you are having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. This guy started his entrepreneurial journey after graduating from the University of Nevada, Reno with a degree in biochemistry and foregoing a medical pathway to pursue a brick and mortar wellness facility. He then pivoted to an online health practice a year before the COVID lockdowns. And then after scaling both businesses to the seven figure level, and doing 3,000 to 4,000 sales consultations, he was frustrated with the way sales were being taught. He was tired of the old school objection handling, aggressive tactics, and sales attitude taught by most sales trainers. So he looked back at what he was doing, combed through his notes, and created what was called compassion conversations. And that is a therapeutic-driven, psychological-based sales system centered around compassion and care. He has taught over 3,000 people his system of compassion conversations and has the goal to change and redefine the landscape of sales altogether. And he also regularly invests in the crypto markets and bought Ethereum when it was just 15 bucks, obtaining a 20,000% increase and turning $250 into 50K. So let us welcome Chandler Walker. How are you doing today, Chandler? Doing well, excited to come on the show and talk about my journey through business, life, and everything in between, and hopefully give some value to the listeners. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you on, Chan. So I'd like to get started by you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, so it's kind of an accidental pathway. I grew up with a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder and a father who was a he owned a business and it was siding and windows and jet contractor type stuff. And as I was growing up, I kind of saw how my mother was impacted. And at the time, the medical system wasn't really centered around help. It was centered around, there's nothing wrong with you. Just think happy thoughts and move on. And it took her quite a long time to actually figure out a way to get help and solve her problems and really move forward in life. And so that led me down a med school pathway. And, and I thought I was going to go through this pathway and really change lives and, and be the person who could be the catalyst to someone feeling better, healthier, happier, et cetera. But the problem was when I got into the med school pathway, I figured, I realized as I was precepting that it was more about pills and it was, it's not a shot at doctors. It's just a system. Someone comes in, someone gets a pill, someone leaves. Uh, and so it wasn't really for me. I didn't really want to make that the way I, I moved into life. And I didn't really want to make that my career. So I broke off. And because I had spent the summers working with my dad with his business, I kind of learned the fact that you could, you can operate your business. You can operate your own thing. I also learned that I didn't want to work with my hands doing hard labor. And so I shifted at that point. And that was when I sort of beg, beg borrow and pleaded and built up my brick and mortar business. I was able to put together 50 grand to get the business going. We launched it. And that's kind of where my journey began. Awesome. So yeah, so basically it was like your life experience watching your mom and your dad, your mom suffer from bipolar disorder. And you, you saw your dad working entrepreneurial stuff, doing contracting, signing stuff. And you wanted, you went to the medical system to help people like her out and other people because you realized it really wasn't helping a lot of people. And, but one of the things you discovered in med school was that um, it was all about pills, which is not something you wanted to do. You, you know, it's for other people, it's okay, but you wanted to do something more that you don't want to do pills you want to do extremely hard labor hard labor so you went into um you know getting you know going about setting up the brick and mortar wellness facility so you might tell us a little bit more about that brick and mortar wellness facility that you had that you created 
Yeah. So the wellness facility was centered around six, seven key period pillars of wellness at this point. But, and the way I came up with these pillars was I did one-on-one consultations with every single person who came into the facility and they always had these six areas that they needed to improve in order to be better. And we had this system that we built out where I was able to help people in a holistic way. And we were able to charge a price that was a premium for our product. People would often come in and pay 12, 13, 14, $1,500 plus for uh, experience with us. And the way it was centered around, we had Six pillars, seven pillars. It was mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, habits, and ultimately wealth. And the reason I came up with these was and was because people needed these seven pillars in order to actually be overall well. Because if mental health wasn't in order, they were going to fall apart. Nothing was going to work. If social health wasn't in order, people were going to tell them they suck and they weren't going to succeed and they were going to quit. If sleep wasn't in order, no amount of nutrition or anything was going to help them. If nutrition wasn't in order, it didn't matter how much they worked out. They weren't going to lose weight or be healthy or feel happy. And if fitness wasn't in order, they weren't going to build bone density and their longevity of life was going to be a, a huge problem. And then finally, wealth came about because one of the biggest and most impactful and stressful experiences in someone's life is their ability to manage finances, the amount of debt they're in, and their ability to actually create wealth in their life. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I like the way you, you broke that down into the various different pillars. And, and I like the fact you have a holistic approach because I'm big into that. I, I'm actually a holistic coach, as, you know, so I'm big into that. I think that's very important for your health. And I think more people should take a look at that. And um, it, it really will help because people realize if you want to be successful, you get you, you got to have these things where, you, like you said, the mental health is very important, the social health, the sleep, the nutrition. Most The vast majority of people are vitamin and mineral deficient, so they're lacking these nutrients. So if you're lacking these nutrients, you, you're susceptible to all kinds of illnesses. And, you know, being the fitness and then and, and, and taking care of the wealth, all these things are interrelated. And I remember something Richard Branch has said when he asked them, you know, if you want to become a billionaire, what do you need to do? He says, exercise and get fit you know once i took care of my health everything fell into place so a lot of people realize you really need to carry your health both physical and mental all those things those six foot i think really make a big difference and uh so i'm glad you brought that up and i'm sure you know and, and it says you you had four thousand uh sales conversations so obviously you've learned a lot from talks to these people and um and and I like the fact, you know, there's no manipulation, there's no aggressive sales sex of feeling salesy, because I know that's one of the things that stop people from becoming entrepreneurs, becoming salespeople, because they want to feel like they're pushing on people. But I think your experience has been, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about this, you've helped so many people. You're you're you solve problems, so you help them become better. You so you make things you know better for them. So you might talk a little bit more about that, serving and helping people, because a lot of people don't, you know, are you know, don't are afraid of sounding push your salesy, but it's nothing like that. You can be very successful without having to resort to any of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think people think of sales and they think this like slimy used car salesman who wants to make their commissions or, or hit quotas. And, and that's how it was maybe in the 1980s. But the way sales has evolved today is it's become about learning how to solve problems, how to ask questions, how to listen with an intent, with intent and a purpose, and then help people understand whether or not what you have can actually solve their problem. And so I call this the art of the challenging leader. Your ability is to be a leader to these people. It's to challenge their current paradigms and challenge the way they think and feel about their problem in the world and see if what they're actually doing makes sense for what you're doing. And if it does, then give them the option to actually 
do business with you because sales doesn't, and this is why sales doesn't have to be this slimy, greasy experience. It's problem solving. What's, what's going on in your life? This and this and this. Okay. Well, why that, why is that happening? Well, because of this and this and this. Oh, okay. So why does that even matter? Oh, because of this. Oh, okay. So, Hey, what we do solves this, that, and this. And because you said this, we're going to do this. So it's just listening. It's paying attention. It's having an intent and a purpose behind what you're doing and what you're displaying to people. No, I love that. That's very beautiful. You know, be a leader, challenge their paradigms the way they think and see what, you know, find out what their problems are, see what you offer can solve their problems. Now, um, and, and and something just that is related to what you just said and what we're talking about is, um, is you, when you want to help people, you you detach yourself from the sale. But sometimes when you're getting started, you know, money can be very tight and you really need that sale. So, you know, how can a person, especially when they're getting started, detach themselves from the sale, but but they really need the money, you know, because, you know, that, that can be a big temptation because they really want to, so they want to, sometimes you want to just focus on it because you need that $2,000, $5,000 because you have money tight. So how can you detach yourself, especially, you know, when money's kind of tight in the beginning? Yeah, exactly. So you want to think about this from the perspective of the prospect. So if I come into the call and if I come into the sales conversation and I'm needy, if I'm the used car salesman, for example, I had a car salesman say, hey, what can I do to get you to buy today? And because he said that, well, probably nothing because I'm not going to buy from you now. It's the art of cat and mouse. It's the art of the, of, of the chase. Go on a dating app and start texting someone nonstop. They want nothing to do with you, but text them once and wait and actually play the game. And they're going to want more from you because you're not being needy. So if you enter a sales conversation from a needy vantage point or from a needy mindset, the person on the other end of the call isn't going to want anything to do with you. So if you come in and you need the money and they run away, you're going to consistently need the money because you put yourself in that state and that state is going to repel the people who are actually wanting to do business from you potentially away because now you're chasing them and they, they love to be chased. So when you come into the conversation, you have to recognize and say, I'm here to solve problems. Yes, I might need the money, but if I portray myself and I put the vision out that I do need the money and they can smell that, they're going to run away from me as fast as humanly possible. And I'm going to consistently and continuously stay broke. So one ex exercise we do is we put ourselves into a sort of just neutral state before we get into the conversation. I call it the, you pretend like there's leaves on a stream. You you close your eyes, you, you see the money go by, you just let it pass. You see the worry go by, you let it pass. You don't fight emotions, you just sit there with them. So it allows you to enter the conversation into a state to where you're not allowing your emotions to control you and you're controlling your emotions. No, I like that. Detach yourself from the emotions, let it all pass by. And, and you're right. You, you don't chase. A lot of people like to be chased. And it's like you, you it's, like, it's like if you're calling a girl every single day, she's going to be turned off. You call her once and, you know, give her some time, give her some space. Maybe things change later on. If you're calling her every single day, she's never going to want to be with you. It almost never happens. And, and you're right. You have to think from the perspective of the of the client. You can't be desperate. And they could also sense when you look at them as a transaction or as a person, if they sense that, to, that, that they are to you simply a transaction, some money that you need. They're never going to buy from you. They're going to be turned off. You mentioned the used car sales, and you say, "How? What can I get you to or do to buy?" I, you know, I love that phrase because they're going to say nothing. And you got to focus on how, what kind of problem do you have that I can solve? How can I help you? How can I be of service? Focus on that, and I think things will change. So definitely, some really good things. Uh, you know, you shared there. So I want to talk a little bit because we we'll get back to health. So. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people are trying to get healthy. They're trying to lose weight. They want to be fit, but they're struggling. And and you talk about the fact that diets are the biggest recipe for failure and weight loss. You want to talk a little bit about why that is? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Well, when you think about a diet, what's the connotation behind it? It's a short-term thing that you're going to do to get a short-term goal. But once that's over, you go back to your long-term habits. And so if someone is a habitual dieter, if they're on keto, paleo, Atkins, the 48-hour Hollywood cookie diet, the all-fish diet, vegetarian, vegan, all they're doing is bouncing from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And what they're not doing is looking at what's actually going to change the problem. And, and what do we do as humans? How do we operate? What's the main thing that allows us to either make or break success? Well, that's habits. And so if you don't focus on those habits, and if you don't change the habits that you have on a daily basis, and your long term application of those habits, no diet in the world is going to work for you. And you're just going to go from diet to diet to diet to bounce around to fail and over and over and over again, and only take those before pictures. That's a good point. You really need to focus on the habits. I think if you look at it short term, which is, you know, what you just described it with the diets, you know, whatever different diet you have, just a short term result, short term goal, everything short term, but then you're going to go back to the long term, the scheme, the long term habits you have, you got to break the habits. And unless the habits are broken, and uh, that goes back to what's in your subconscious mind, nothing's going to change for your long term. That's why people crash and burn. They, they lose the weight, they get it back on, they lose it, go back and forth, and they're never really in the state that they want. So, you know, another thing I want to ask you is how does how does the person's mental health affect and impact their weight loss? So I would, you know, that well, you could talk a little bit more like that, about that as well. Yeah. So when you think about the number one most important aspect that's critical to your health and your success and pretty much anything in life, especially weight loss, is going to be your mental health. How do you feel about yourself? For example, say you you're on your the diet that we just talked about and you go off and you have a pizza. Well, if your mental health is in order, you're going to think you're a failure. You're going to think you suck. And then you're going to just go off the rails and just continue to fail. You're going to say, why does it matter? Why should I keep doing it? I already failed. I may as well just go all out. That's the kind of mindset that pushes us into a place where we have habitual failure. You look at business and life as well. When we have that mindset, it teaches us to use that as a scapegoat to just not do it anymore. And so once we get our mental health in order, and once we get our mindset in order, we're able to say, okay, well, I failed, but that's okay. That's just a stepping stone. Failure is part of the process to achieve success. And that's going to allow me to actually get to where I want to be. It's the process of learning to not only be able to walk through your scenarios internally, but also learn to actually believe in yourself. That's well, really good stuff there. Like you said, if you're going through a diet and you eat a pizza, you're not a fail. But a lot of times we we do think that way. It's like, oh, I, I'm a failure. I had a big man. I, I botched it up. You're not a failure. But like you said, people use it as a reason to scapegoat not to continue doing that. And I like what you said. It's okay to fail. It's part of the process. You just get back up and just go back to you. If you if one day you mess up, you get back and stick back on, you know, on the diet and you keep going. It's like an airplane that's going from New York to Los Angeles. It's of course most of the time, but you keep getting it back on course. You keep making adjustments along the way. So you keep making adjustments along the way in your diet as well. And what do you think about the fact that we, you know, too often people seem to focus on their failures, but not enough on their successes. They focus. They only focus on oh, I did this wrong. But you know, what if you know? What about focusing on the fact for the last ten days you ate correctly, you, you did everything right, so you followed the right thing. So. Do you think that's a big problem? A lot of people, and it goes back to mental health, people don't focus enough on the things they do right, the successes they have and too much on their failures. Yeah, I think absolutely. Because people, when you think about how people operate, we immediately and automatically almost always go to the negative when we think about what we're doing and where we're headed. We're usually driven by fear. And because fear is a mechanism that's an adaptation to keep us alive, that it's an evolutionary mechanism to keep us alive. 
But in today's society and world, it's not really as big of a deal because we live in a safe place. And so I think if you're the kind of person who has those habitual thoughts of negativity, like I didn't do this right, I suck, this didn't make sense, why would I do this? What am I doing? You kind of want to, usually what I do is I call it yeah, but statements. So it's like, I didn't do this right. Yeah, but I did do it right for the first couple of days. Or I suck. Yeah, but I started it. Or I failed. Yeah, but I actually am moving in the right direction. So I think one of the things someone can really do is throw a yeah, but statement behind a lot of their feelings and their the mindset of failure that they have internally. Because usually this is a deep-seated problem that's comes down to the fact that someone had issues growing up, they were bullied as kids, their parents abused them, something happened early in life that taught them that they were worthless, that taught them that they weren't good enough, that taught them to have these thoughts. And so the only way to solve these problems is number one, go back and figure out where that presented itself and how that trigger continues to manifest, but also to change the way you think and the habits of the way you think, just by including these yeah, but statements. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I agree. A lot of it's because what happened growing up, either, you know, something that was supposed to either by their parents, the teachers, their, 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 their environment, something happened that taught them to feel less about themselves, that they were not good enough. And, and, and it creeps up and it just affects them in all walks of life. So I like the yeah, but statements. Yeah, I messed up today, but for the last week and a half, I've been doing it well. So focus more on the things you're doing, not so much on the things you're doing. And yeah, fear and it's interesting, you're right, fear served us in caveman times, but a lot of those things that we feared, you know, when you, whenever it was thousands and thousands of years ago, most of those things don't exist, but we're still afraid of those things. Like we're not, we're not going to deal with saber-toothed tigers hitting us, you know, attacking us, but we're still afraid of that. And, and the interesting thing about fear is the vast majority of fears are learned. They're not, we're not born, born with it. We're only born with two fears, the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling down. Everything else we learn. But the great thing is, we can also unlearn them. So um, you know, that's hope. So for people who have different kind of fears to deal with, you can unlearn. And a great acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real because most of those fears never come to pass. There's some really good stuff here. Uh, so next thing I want to ask you is, um, and getting back to sales. So, uh, and this is something I saw by a lot of sales people. A lot of them say, you know, focus on their pain, get to their pain because the more pain that they feel, the more likely they're going to buy. Why is looking for the pain on a sales conversation an incomplete strategy? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of people, they only focus on the pain. They want to, the, the adage is if they cry, they buy. And so salesmen want to get people to in this intense emotional state. And the problem though, is if you go too deep emotionally with people and they're just a bag of tears, the what'll happen is you'll get refund requests. And so you may get the close, you may get the sale, but you're also going to get the person who has buyer's remorse afterward. Because when you get someone in that state, they they think emotionally upfront. They think, oh, emotionally, I must do this. But then a couple of days later, logic kicks in. What was I thinking? What was I doing? Why did I do that? So when you're trying to sell something, you have to not only play into the emotional epicenter of the brain, but you also have to move them back and play into logic. So that way, when logic does kick in down the road, they can logically understand why they made that decision. They can logically figure out why you're different, why it makes sense, why what you're doing isn't the same thing and why they weren't manipulated. No, I definitely agree. I, I like that because it, you, they can have buyers remorse later. They're going to resent you later. And you know when people are resentful, they tell everyone about you. And, and that can really hurt your business long-term. You apply logic as well into it, they're going to be less resentful. So yeah, apply. It, it, it's only part of the strategy. You can't make it a whole strategy because it can become, uh, it can sometimes become manipulative. So I like your answer about that. Uh, a couple more questions here. 
Um, you talk about objections being a thing of the past. Would you care to uh, elaborate on that? Yeah. So when you think about the way most salespeople teach sales, they teach you to get to the end of the call and then battle objections for an hour. If you, if they, they often say the sale doesn't start until you get to the objections at the end of the call. And then you have to sit there and fight for two hours with people. But the problem with that is it means that you didn't have a complete sales strategy up front. It means you didn't ask the right questions. You didn't work through the right things with people. And so what I do in, in, in my sales conversations is Anything that could possibly be an objection moves to the front of the call. Why? Because this allows me to not just play with emotion, but it allows me to play with the logic of the situation and remove this before it becomes a problem. So when we look at finances, we're not going to talk about money at the end of the call. We're going to talk about money right away. We're going to work through some questions and we're going to talk about finances. What do they make? What do they have left over? What's their credit situation? So I know exactly what they can and can't forward, afford and whether or not I can ethically take this conversation forward. Same thing with partner. It's not about, hey, you need to make a decision. Uh, you're your partner doesn't need to be here. It's about, hey, we need to be in alignment. Is your partner in alignment with where you're headed, what you're doing, where you're going? Have they been supportive in the past? And all of this is, is taken care of early. So that way at the end, it doesn't seem like I'm some just I'm some raunchy salesman trying to get them to make a decision. So that's why objections are, are a thing of the past in terms of moving them to the end of the call. Because if we move them to the beginning and we talk about them straight up and we are that challenging leader, that puts us in that place where that person can finally trust us, build respect behind us and see that we can be the solution to the problem they've been suffering with. I, I really like that. Yeah, the vast majority of people will handle the objections at the end. Um, and like you said, they're not asking the right things, the right questions, but you move them to the front of the call and, and that they can use your logic. They can use logic. They know, um, you know, what, what they, you know, what they can or cannot afford. So you can see if you can help them or not. And, you know, you do, you take, all, take care of all that at the beginning and they're going to trust and respect you more. So it's better to handle everything at the end, at the beginning, I mean, because it just works out you know, so much better. And instead of spending a half hour, an hour, you're talking all this and you have these objections, you're fighting for it. You know, sometimes it's just better to know at the beginning, maybe in the first three or four minutes, you were like, no, oh, I can't help these people. So, um, you know, you, they, whether it's money or your time, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's better to, you know, not waste 45 minutes and just let them go. But you, like you said, you also know, what they can afford, what they can't afford. So you can offer them this package or that package. So take care of everything at the beginning. And it just, they just trust you so much more in the, in, when you do that. So I really like that's a really good answer. And uh, I agree. Uh, you do that and objections will be a thing of the past. And uh, one more question um, I want to ask you, because obviously you had some really good stuff, with a, a really good success with Ethereum and crypto. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, they heard about crypto, they don't know too much about it. So how can someone get involved in various crypto projects early to see big returns? So um, is there a way to do that? Yeah, the first thing you have to think about is it's similar with stocks. It's not about trying to make a million dollars. The person who chases the million dollars is the person who dies with zero dollars. The person who chases, I'm going to make $10 today, is the person who can actually make the million. It's 10 today, 20 tomorrow, 30 the next day, 50K all of a sudden, because it's incremental steps. And so that's how we have to approach this market. A lot of people during the last crypto bull run went crazy and bought Bitcoin and Ethereum when they were like $4,000 and $60,000 and they're way underwater and got wrecked because they FOMO'd into it. They had the fear of missing out. And so the biggest thing you look at in this market is the ability to have the patience to recognize when the market is down. And that's when you look at it as an opportunity to actually buy in and get into the market. So when I bought Ethereum, it was just before the market pumped and went crazy. Nobody cared about it. Everybody thought it was a scam, the stupid thing. And I took money from a business I had that I was comfortable with losing. And I put it into Ethereum because when I looked at the application behind Ethereum, it's basically the app store to all these little applications in this whole 
whole ecosystem that lives under it. And so I thought this thing has the opportunity to be huge because it has the capability of housing pretty much the entire crypto ecosystem. And so that's when I bought into that. And then when I looked down the road, I thought, okay, what are the biggest problems associated with Ethereum? How could Ethereum not be survivable? How can it fail? And I thought, okay, well, high gas fees, like you can't operate in that network when it's congested and it's super expensive. And so I thought, okay, what solves that? Well, Polygon, Matic. And so then I bought Polygon at 10 cents and it pumped to like $4. And so it's the idea of not looking for the million dollar buying. It's about looking for the project that has sustainability, that has team, that has the ability and finances backed behind it to survive. And that's in conjunction with compliance with like the SEC and all that. And then looking at projects similar to that, that solve the problems that the big projects haven't solved yet. Uh, definitely some really good stuff there because I remember back uh, five, six years ago, like crypto was doing really well, then it crashed because too many people were just speculating. They were not doing any research. Then after the crash, people changed their mind. They started doing research. They looked at it. Is this a good project? Is this a, like you said, research it like a stock and you know, be patient with it and, and avoid FOMO, which is what gets people to a lot of trouble. When everyone's buying this, when they buy, and that's when the market crashes. When the market's going down, you know, that's when you were doing, that's when you got into it. And then eventually went up because you did the research on, you said, this is a really good body, really good. Uh, it's like a really good stock. This this blockchain is really good. So that's why you have, like I say, you have the page that a lot of people want to make a million dollars in one day, but it takes time. You got to be patient. And you made me think of something Warren Buffett said, when people get greedy, I get fearful. And when people get fearful, I get greedy. So you got to see a lot of times what people are doing, a lot of times you really do the opposite. When everyone's getting scared and selling, that's often a good time to buy. And when everyone is buying, it's probably a good time to start getting out. So definitely some really good stuff. Listen, Chan, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You share a lot of great tips, a lot of great value, a lot of great wisdom. I really appreciate all that uh, you shared on today. And it was a real pleasure having you on. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, go to Instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF. And if you DM me the word guide, I'll send you the bulletproof guide to building an unbeatable business and life. Just Instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF. And you can find me. My picture is like me and my daughter. You can't miss it because my little girl's in pretty much every reel. And you can kind of get an idea of my lifestyle, my thoughts on business. There's a ton of value on there. So I would recommend the first place to go is right there and shoot that DM. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks again, Chandler. Have yourself a great day. Thanks. You as well. Happy to be on board. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.